0: we <laughs>
1: This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and Uprocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today we're going to be talking about our favorite records from the first half of 2018. And when I say our, I mean me and Hanif Abdurraqib. Great writer, great critic. If you haven't read They Can't Kill Us Till They Kill Us, I don't know what is uh, wrong with you. Because that's a big book. Questlove loved that book. Lots of other people love that book. He's a friend of the pod. He's been on a bunch of times. I always love having him on. He talked to me in the middle of his getaway in Santa Fe, New Mexico, (laughs) to talk to me about records. And we both shared our five favorite albums from the first half of 2018, and it was a really great conversation. I feel like uh, it's a bit of a novelty to count down a a mid-year list this late into uh, June, You know, because now people are doing mid-year lists already, like, at the end of May. It's kind of like the the end-of-the-year lists now are, like, starting to appear around Thanksgiving time. (laughs) You know? Uh, Not even in December anymore. It's, like, in November. I don't want to be pedantic here, but the middle of the year is the end of June. Really. I mean, because you're talking about the first six months of the year. And then July commences the second six months out of the year. So if you're doing your mid-year lists in May... That's like a five-twelfths list. <laughs> That's not a half list. It's like you're a little bit more than a third. You're about, say, what, 42% or so around there of the year. We're doing 50% of the year here, baby. We're we're keeping it real here on the Celebration Rock podcast. So um, if you're looking for records to check out. I think you're going to find a good variety here. We didn't have any repeats on our list. There was not a lot of agreement. You know, Not that I didn't like the records that he picked or he didn't like the records that I picked, but it was a good variety. Ten different records, five from each of us, covering a full spectrum of genres. So uh, hopefully you're going to find something here that you like and maybe something you haven't heard yet already. Uh, So yeah, without further ado, Let's get into it. This is me and Hanifa Abderkib uh, talking about our favorite records so far in 2018. So you are on vacation right now. You, you, you're, you've agreed to do a podcast, even though you're, you're taking some me time, I, and I appreciate you doing that. Can I ask, like, where are you right now?
0: I'm in Santa Fe. Uh, I've never been to Santa Fe, and I needed to go to a place where I didn't know anybody. Um, and that's kind of the only criteria I had for a vacation. Um, I haven't been on a vacation in about three years. And so, um, and notably, I mean, in those three years I haven't been on vacation, uh, I've needed one repeatedly many times. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I haven't taken a vacation in the past three years, which have been the most hectic years of my adult life, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I just wanted to go somewhere where I didn't have to talk to anyone. Well, and,
1: and yet you're talking to me. I, I, I feel like I'm intruding on your like meditative, retreat here no
0: so, no not at all this is I, I'm thrilled to do this I could do this I do this every week
1: <laughs> well I would do it too man I I, I I appreciate you making time for the podcast here and I, before we get into it too I just want to make sure that we're plugging all the things we need to plug your book is still available it's still great tell us about yeah. the book where can we get the book
0: They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us is yes. um, still out literally everywhere books are sold at this point. Um and
1: everyone loves this I, book. Quest love loves this book. You've gotten
0: Quest love like, yeah, Questlove shouted it out. It's gotten a lot of uh Yeah, I mean it's gotten a lot of praise that I'm really thankful for. It's still still selling okay, which is really great. You got the um, most
1: amazing like blurb from Grail Marcus on your cover too, where he said basically yeah. I, I, I saw God when I read this book. I think that's what he said. It was like to that effect. It was like an amazing. Yeah, Gri- praise. I mean,
0: was very kind. It's, it's funny because I think that, um, you know, Greel is someone who uh, is someone in the lineage of, of of writers that I've always always valued, be it Lester Bangs or Jessica um, Jessica Hopper, of course. And so, you know, he's kind of like had a hand in the lineage of a lot of writers that I've loved. And so, to kind of have that come full, full circle meant a whole lot to me.
1: Yeah, man. Oh, w- that, that's a you know because. I just put out this book, and I had to get blurbs, and you have blurb envy sometimes. And when I saw that blurb on your book, I'm like, geez, Louise, that's like serious blurb envy. I like looking at the awesome. cover of your book. Because I was like, man, like Grail Marcus saying that. That was so awesome. And blurbs
0: are also just terrible to get. Blurbs are <laughs> not fun at all. And it's super degrading. Very uncomfortable. And you just, um, yeah,
1: you just feel like, oh, like everyone looks at you like, oh no, this, this person again. They're coming around, you know, you're just begging yeah. people to say nice things about you and it's it's, it's terrible.
0: Yeah, it's bad. But I'm <laughs> glad, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think that like, um you know, I just learned a book from an old MTV News colleague, Brian Phillips, who has a great book coming out. Oh, um, yeah. And I hit a point where I was like, this is, you know... I, it's so great, I think, to have that community of writers who um, are excited about each other's work. You know, I mean, I've loved Brian's work for as long as he's been writing publicly. And, um, you know, to get to read his book and blurb it was really refreshing. So I think blurbs are bad, but also they provide a, like, really good community exchange between writers who know and love each other.
1: Yes, it's great to write blurbs. It's it's bad to ask for them. You know, it's better, Absolutely. To, it's better to give than receive. And also, and I think this is public knowledge, you're writing a book about A Tribe Called Quest.
0: Yeah, I just turned in the final revisions on that. Um, it's due out very early next year, January next year. I, I mean I just have a lot of books on the horizon in general. Yeah, because you, um, like
1: you have like a you know, have a poetry book coming? Do you have like another yeah. essay book coming too?
0: Yeah, so the, the 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 full slate is the tribe called quest book should be out January of next year. Um, it's not a biography. I do want to like be clear that it's like more of a a book that is written um, you know, my life with a tribe called quest from the first album until Fife's death. Um, and then I have a a new poetry book. My second full-length poetry collection is coming out um, in September or October of next year, Um, and then in 2020, my first Random House book will be out, Um, and then in 2022, my second Random House book will be out. So So you need um, a vacation, man. Yeah, it'll be be fun. It's going to be a lot of work. I'm looking forward to sitting down and writing instead of traveling so much.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know... Hopefully you like Santa Fe. Maybe that can become your retreat after you write all these books because you might need you're going to need another vacation I think at some point very soon.
0: At some point I will <laughs> absolutely need another vacation. Hopefully you get one.
1: Okay, so we got the plugging out of the way. Let's talk about our favorite albums so far of, of 2018. And you and I have talked about this a little bit over email. We exchanged albums that we were thinking of talking about. I I don't know if you still have the same albums in mind. I, my albums are pretty much the same, but I'm going to be a good host. I'm going to let you go first. Tell me, like, do you have like a number one album, like an album that is like you like more than anything else right now? I
0: have two, um, and I, I so I wasn't thinking about hierarchy when I went into this, but I guess I do have two number one albums, and one of them is um, Sleep, the comeback album from Sleep Sciences. Yes, that's um, how people know, about I like it. metal. Yeah, tell people about Sleep,
1: because this, this is a band that some people will know, maybe not everyone will know.
0: Yeah, so Sleep is a metal band yes. um, that were most prominent, like, in the early 90s. I would say in 1992, they probably released their, like mo- their their well, I don't know, I guess their first albums were both phenomenal. But I think in 1992, they released Sleep's Holy Mountain, which is kind of, I mean, I think they're... Like landmark record, um, and then in 1995 or so, they, um, you know, in, in Fleet Holy Mountain was like this really seminal seminal record, and it kind of like changed the evolution of, I, I guess what people would call stoner metal. Um, I don't really, I you know, I'm like I, I don't know if I'd classify it as that, but I think most would. Um, yeah, but um, they had like had contract issues. They they, like, signed with, I forgot the label, London Records, perhaps. Um, and Sleep began to work on, they, like, started to work on this album called Dope Smoker. Yes. And they sent it to their label, and it was just, like, a single song that was an hour long. Um, so the record label was like, we're not going to release this. And uh, they, like, cut it up without Sleep's approval. They, like, cut up the songs and remixed them. And so Sleep was kind of like, forget this We're going to disband. You know, like, it was one of those things where they're like, you're not going to release the music we want as we want it to be released. So like, we're going to get out of our contract by completely disbanding. Um, and they were pretty much dormant, um, until 2010, nine or 10, and they played a couple sets here or there. But this is, um, the sciences is their first album, you know, proper album since they, they reunited. Um, you know, they got back together and Jack White signed them the third man. Um, and, you know, they, they dropped this album this year. And I think it's it's my favorite because it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like, um, I, I think the thing we get concerned or the thing I get concerned about when a band is away for so long and then returns is how are they going to maneuver this new brand of their new brand of adulthood, right? Right. And you got sleep kind of, um, you know, they're kind of still the same, like, stoner-esque dudes. But I, what I love about the album, um, is, um, kind of that they have grown up and you can kind of like, the songs are funny and the songs are kind of, you know, silly still, but they're kind of like, um, delving through a lot of a lot of concerns that aren't just stoner rock but most importantly i think the sound has evolved you know um while they were in on hiatus a lot of the um the members were in you know other bands um and i think that also they weren't like just dormant for a bunch of years they were like also in other bands playing and then in like honing I'm thinking especially of Matt Pike, the guitarist, um, who, like, is a great metal guitarist, but really, I think, has, uh, you know, become somewhat singular um, in his time outside of Sleep. You know, he was in the band High on Fire, which is not necessarily, like, was not my jam all the way. But I think that him being in that band and getting to um, flex his freedom, like his freedom as a guitarist and vocalist, really did a lot of work for The Return to Sleep. So I think The Science is one of my favorite albums of the year. Um, A second one I love is Saba's, um, Saba, rapper from Chicago, Care For Me. Yes. Um, It's a really well-crafted album that largely revolves around the maneuvering through a very large grief cycle. Um, Saba's cousin was stabbed to death in Chicago last year. And this album is kind of the end result of that. So it's kind of a conversation through a grief cycle. Um and it's it does it without being um showy, morbid, or completely reliant on grief showier elements, you know? Yeah. Um it's it's a it's a what I like about the album is that it's a great piece of writing. You know, yes it's like musically brilliant, but the album serves as a really well-crafted piece of writing on, on kind of um, the maneuverability of a very large grief that doesn't seem to get smaller as time goes on.
1: I love it. I love your choices because I, I'm aware of sleep. I did not spend a lot of time with the sciences, so your praise definitely makes me want to dive into that record and spend more time with it. And the other record, Care For Me, did not know that record at all. So you've totally introduced me to that album. And your praise definitely makes me excited. You're setting me up for a great record. So I'm excited to get into those. My two choices that I would say that are top of my list are more zeitgeisty, at least in the indie world. And I realize that, uh, I don't know what this says about me, but both records are about a person losing their mind in a hotel. Uh, there's a hotel theme to both of these records. And the records, of course, are Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino by Arctic Monkeys, which I think is my number one record. That would be in the... I feel like that record's kind of separated itself. And then the other record is God's Favorite Customer by Father John Misty. And in the case of the first record, the hotel concept is obviously baked into the concept of the record. There's sort of a sci-fi theme to it. Alex Turner is also singing in a very sort of loungy David Bowie, Nick Cave, pulp type of thing. It seems like it has a very sort of debauched vibe. You get you get the feeling listening to the record that he's like chain-smoking cigarettes and drinking champagne and at a piano playing yeah. songs. Yeah, um, like half Bowie, half Cohen, I think. Exactly, and it's just one of those records that when I first heard it, it didn't make any sense to me. All the songs sounded the same. I missed the sort of bluesy, heavy guitar uh, references from the previous Arctic Monkeys record AM, uh, you know, it wasn't as hooky as that record. And yet, as I spent time with it, it just became one of those records that infiltrated my brain. There were so many lines from the record that would just sort of pop up into my consciousness. As I was falling asleep, I would think about the Martini police. I would think about Tacharias on the moon, all the sort of random Lines on the record that I think are really funny. I can understand people listening to the record and feeling like it doesn't really coalesce. But to me, I love just how uh, uh, all over the place it is. And you really feel like you're inside someone's brain when you're listening to this record. And I always like albums like that. God's Favorite Customer by Father John Misty has a a similar quality to it. All the songs were written in about a six-week span when Josh Tillman was romantically estranged from his partner. It has a real sense of place, a sense of time. You feel like you are with a person as they are seeing their life unravel and in a a way their psyche is unraveling at the same time. And I think we've all been in those situations where you're in a relationship and it's not going well and uh, you wish it were going well. (laughs) you're, You're sort of out of control of your own life. And I think for a lot of people... You know, even people who aren't who have problems with the Father John Misty persona, this record I think has connected with people feeling like well, maybe there's a little bit little less artifice on this record and I'm one of those people i'm a I'm a fan of his. I feel like he is someone who uh has a lot of emotional resonance on his records. I think he's more earnest than he gets credit for, but there's certainly less of a self aware Quality to this record there's not as many asides there's not as many jokes it's much more of like a straightforward statement of like i am miserable and this is why and couple that with music that i think is just really beautiful i think it's really well produced it's pretty stripped down i think compared to certainly pure comedy the the previous record i like it a lot so these albums those two kind of stand apart for me because I guess I'm just into hotel records. I guess if uh, Hotel California, I should be listening to that as well. Do either one of those records, Did they mean anything to you? Did you get into either one of those?
0: I liked Father John Misty's record kind of um, in spite of myself, because I I do think that he um, has previously kind of layered his anguish um, behind this kind of uh, force field, of jokes where in the punchline is often something else or someone else. Right. Right. I think he's often directed his, his anguish at other people in a way that is like widely accepted because it, it comes across as this tongue in cheek humor. That's also kind of not good, um, for me. So I, what I like about God's favorite customer, like, as you said, is that it's kind of stripped down to its bare bones thematically where it's like, I am in pain here is kind of a triptych of my pain and, um, you know, in a way, it reminds me of Rumors. It's less sprawling than Rumors, and there's less, like, cutesy drama than Rumors, but uh, re- evolution-wise in the song cycle, um, there's kind of no resolution. Right. Um, right. I think people are turning to, to Rumors because, um, you know, Fleetwood Mac was a mess, and at the end of the album, they, they aren't any less of a mess than they were when they began, and I think I like this Father John Misty album um i mean even the title of the last song right isn't the title of the last song we're only people and there's not much anyone can do about that or something like that (laughs) right yeah it's just so it's so resolved to its own misery that i kind of appreciate it
1: so tell me about the next record on your list and again like for you know i didn't ask you to order the list for me my list isn't ordered either like those two kind of stand apart but like otherwise my list is fairly interchangeable and it sounds like your list too These are just sort of five records that you like a lot, but you didn't necessarily put them in an order, right? No,
0: I didn't put them in order. I do want to, I I feel um, compelled to celebrate Janelle Monae's album. Ah, yes. um, Dirty Computer. And I don't know yet exactly how much I love. I mean, I know I like it, um, but I also feel like for me, the album fulfilled um, what I've, always wanted out of a Janelle Monáe album, um, you know, where there's kind of... Um, it, it, it is as... So I think a thing with Janelle Monáe, and I'm trying to tread carefully here because I don't want to, like, say her past work is bad, but it often <laughs> felt like her past albums did not fulfill how interesting and creative she was. Right. Or is, right? She's kind of always on the, the breaking edge of things. Um, at least aesthetically and as creatively. Um, and I often felt like her album did not provide me sonically with what the aesthetics were asking me to uh consume or take in. And, and I really love Dirty Computer. Um Also, I just love the like people she enlisted on the album. You know, there's like, like Brian Wilson's on this album, you know what I mean? And like, Brian Wilson's on the same album as, like, Organized Noise, you know?
1: Um, <laughs> right. And
0: and that's really thrilling to me in a lot of ways. Um, but I love uh, not only um, the song cycle, but the visual cycle that went with it. Right. Um, I, I do think that pop stars are going to eventually have to offer more than just the generic not generic but um just the, sh- the 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 basic short form music video but that's hard to do. Um and I think Janelle Monáe did it in a way that is um you know really beautiful with with um you know with this album and it's I love how layered the music is, you know, it's interesting that Brian Wilson is on this album because I think um, so many elements of the album are sonically, at least like pulled from his brand of the wall of sound, right? Where um, I think the distinct difference in Spectre and Wilson with the wall of sound was that Spectre was so much rooted in volume and Wilson was kind of rooted in the intricacies of the right. I think for Spectre, the size of the wall mattered and for Wilson, every brick in the wall mattered right right and i think janelle Monet is also that kind of artist where a lot of um a lot of the things on this album are really crafted sonically you know like john bryan did this like beautiful work on take a bite um and you know pharrell is really doing really great production work on i got the juice and it's all intricacies of sound that serve the song to create one like large choral sound instead of just like volume, volume, volume. And so I I love the nuances of Dirty Computer that it's, that it is very futuristic sounding but also very accessible. Yeah. Um, Yeah, And that it really fulfills, I think, the like, um, aesthetic and career arc that Janelle Monáe has kind of always been running towards. Um, Which like, was confusing for a while. You know, I remember when she like, came out with Like Yoga uh, a couple years back and I remember watching that and like, loving that song but also being like, this doesn't, this, it does not feel like she's very comfortable in this soundscape, right? Like, um, which who knows, like yoga might have I felt now looking back, it seems like yoga was just like a platform under which she could like launch Dena, uh, which worked out well for him.
1: Well, and I was going to say, I mean, I think what you're saying, I, I totally agree with everything you just said, by the way, I, I, cause I wouldn't say that her previous records were bad, but to me they were better on paper than they were as music. Like I felt like she had yeah. really great concepts Um, but like there was something about the music it just seemed was like I don't know if it was like too convoluted or if it just didn't deliver the goods always necessarily like in terms of the music because you're right there is like a lot of things that she's doing even on this record a lot of different areas that she's pulling from there's a lot of care in the sonic architecture of the songs a lot of nuances going on but when you listen to it, you don't necessarily notice that right away. It, it, they just sound like pop songs. And it's only like yeah. when you spend time with it that you start to appreciate the intricacies of it. But like, I feel like on our previous records, it would be like the 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 all the intricacies would hit you in the face immediately. And it'd almost be like too much. It's like, okay, I get it. You're a genius. But like, this is like a little too much for me. I'm not enjoying this on a gut level. It's more of like an intellectual exercise to me. Like it always felt like that with her records. Whereas this record, you have like a song like pink, which is like kind of a dumb song. It's like, she's sampling the Aerosmith song from the late nineties, which I thought was like hilarious. The first time I heard it, I was like, who samples late nineties Aerosmith? Like that's such a bad taste thing to do that. It becomes brilliant, especially how she sort of recontextualizes that song in her own song. And I just appreciated that she would do something so dumb, you know, because she's such a smart person and it takes courage sometimes for smart people to do something that's kind of silly, you know? And like, I loved that. And I felt like that spirit carries over to the record a little bit more, like where it's like, yeah, I can do these forward thinking Things in my music, but I can also just make music that is like just dumb pop music. Like it work, it can work on that level as well, you know. And I, I actually think that is
0: progress for her on this. Record. Yeah, and I think it, I mean I think it's just a shift of you know I before often felt like Janelle Monáe was making um music solely for herself and for her own kind of you know proclivities, and, and it, it seems like now she has um, found a way to balance both chasing after her own curiosities while still making music for an audience. Right. And I think she really got comfortable with that on this album.
1: Well, my, the album on my list, I think that kind of fits best with the, jo, the Janelle Monet record is uh, Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves, which uh, yeah. is a record that I've really come to love as uh, spring has turned into summer. Like it's become my, like, roll down the windows and drive at dusk album and,
0: but is it a real country album?
1: Well, that's the that's thing. A,
0: wasn't that the whole fight about that <laughs> album? Is that, is it a real country album or not?
1: Well, I mean, I think similar to, 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 Janelle Monae, I think that Casey Musgraves, I think her previous two records, uh, different trailer, same park, or is it different park, same trailer? I can't remember. It's same something trailer, different park. There you yeah. go. And then, uh, pageant material. I felt like those records were like a little too clever, for their own good. They seemed like they were country records commenting on the other country records or country records oh, yeah. commenting on the state of the industry. And what I love about golden hour is that it seems like she's completely dropped the pretense of making a country record and just made a Fleetwood Mac record from the late eighties. Like to me, like a lot of it, it almost reminds me of like Rilo Kiley at times. Like it has, right. there are great country songs on this record, like space, Cowboy, I think, is, like, a total country song. You could put that on country radio. That should be a huge hit. I don't know if that's gotten any airplay, but it it deserves to. Um, But a lot of it is just really great pop music. And, you know, there's vocoders on it. You know, there's, like, great, like, guitar sounds and bass sounds. It just sounds amazing. And I think that's a great lane for her. Like, she's just making really good pop rock And to me, like, this is the best sort of pop rock record of the year, like, by far. Like, it just sounds amazing. The songs are really good. Like, one of the people that mixed it is Sean Everett, who's worked on, like, a lot of the big indie indie rock records of the last year, like the War on Drugs record, the Grizzly Bear record. Uh, There's a bunch of other records that he's worked on. Um, And when you listen to the record you can kinda of hear that. Like there is a little bit of like an indie rock feel to it a little bit. Like you could imagine Haim being on a track, you know, or like her right. kind of being involved like with the, uh, you could see her touring with like Carly Ray Jepsen or something after this record. Um and so yeah, so that whole debate about is she really country or not, I guess that matters to some people. Like to me it's just like this is just like a really good record. I, I don't I don't know how you want to classify it. But it seems like in her mind she stopped caring about that and just made like a really good record. And, and I think that has helped her a lot. Like to me, this is by far the best album she's ever made.
0: Yeah. I liked it because it's very, um, it feels very much like, um, this is corny, but it feels very much like, and introduction the of type of home, perhaps um, like it feels warm and inviting right, which I guess technically isn't it named after uh the city she's from i don't know isn't she from uh, golden texas i don't know that could be I could have read that somewhere and made it up it could be um but i i love I love how like um yeah, I also have no interest in debating of whether or not it's a country <laughs> album i i I think that like um you know, I think country and metal, uh, and jazz are three genres that are like right perhaps rightfully so, like clinging to their genre identity really, really hard. Um where I think other genres are comfortable with becoming more fluid. Um, you know, those those three genres are, are really clinging to their genre identity and like the things that are happening outside of it or that might put you know, you get someone like Kamazi Washington who like I feel like a lot of jazz purists are like turning up their nose at or like don't wanna be in conversation with despite the fact that I think he is making what I imagine is jazz. Right. But like, I think Casey Musgraves is also in that conversation. Um, but I also just have no interest in the conversation. I think the music is good. And yeah. that's kind of what I'm hype on.
1: Well, there you go. We've just settled. It. I don't think anyone's going to argue about that ever again. I think we've just settled it. It's like, don't argue about it. It doesn't matter. So we've settled it. So I'm glad we solved that problem. Yeah. We deserve to be thanked for that. <laughs> um, tell me about the next record on your list.
0: Um, so the next, I kind of had two that I was tied on. Um, you know, the U.S. Girls, uh, the U.S. Girls album in a poem, Unlimited. Yes. Um, which like, you know, U.S. Girls is funny because it's one of those band names. It's a band name, but it's really just one person. It's like Megan Remy. Um, um, who's, you know, great musician from, from Toronto who has kind of put out like, a run of great music. You know, like us girls has dropped, dropped like great hours. She's dropped great albums for years now, uh, like going on a decade. Um, and each but one is I also different. feel like the records don't get the love they deserve. Right. Um, and in a poem unlimited, um, is the first one to maybe like really get the acclaim that I think it, it, it's owed. Um, and I don't know why it's not more or less accessible. um, if it is more accessible to the writing um you know i, I think meg is like a good storyteller and so this the fact that this kind of um you know a a linear narrative um happening within an album um is 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 something that maybe is appealing for folks um but it's also you know a funny thing that happened during the election is that people began to talk about in, 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 things, in, and in this current climate, which has been a forever climate for some people, of like, <laughs> right. um, sexual abuse and like men overstepping several boundaries at once, um, you know, people began to look at like women of color or women and, and people of color and women of color as, as now more than ever folks who would need to tell their stories now more than ever when these stories have always been kind of vital. And so, you know, in a poem unlimited is definitely a, a, an album that, is rooted in a narrative about uh, rage and anger, like, justifiable, the justifiable anger of, of, of a woman. Um, but it's also, and I, I do think that's why it's gotten some attention, um, but it's also, like, very unexpectedly beautiful and cryptic and cinematic. Um, you know, it's kind of like sonically listening to, uh, it felt like, like um the Kill Bill movies, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's so like wide swelling and cinematic and, and and beautiful and it's like not really about revenge, right? I mean maybe but not really. Um and it's it's it spans a lot of different sonic templates between like I think disco and like you know psychedelia and like some heavier metal stuff. Um and, and so I just think that for me I love this album, uh because it really um one, it's a sharp, nuanced political album in which like everyone on the album who holds power is taken to task with nuance and a type of narrative brilliance. That's for me what I love about it. Yeah. Um but I also love the sonic landscape it dances around and how far it goes. Um and I, I also just kind of appreciate how, um, you know, how it holds folks accountable. As as a listener, I felt held accountable, like some of um, the ideas I had going into the album or some of the ideas I had about our political moment. And I really valued that. So that that's the one. And, and I'm going to just drop real quick that I also really like, um, you know, this is maybe a little bit out of, out of bounds of the, the podcast, but I also really like Shawn Mendes' record. Um, oh,
1: okay. But before we get to that, because like I want to get into that album, because I just want to say, no, okay, cool. Like, no, let's hold that for a second, because yeah, Shawn Mendes, we gotta like, we gotta get into that one. Uh, but I just want to say, like, I am also a big fan of the U.S. Girls record, uh, and I agree with everything you said. I think also what can't be undersold on that album is with all of the sort of political insight and rage on the record. It's also like a really fun record. Like, it's a very catchy. Yeah, Record, it has like a mixtape quality to it. Like you mentioned, how many different genres she's going in. She really is good at like writing lots of different kinds of songs. Like, she's not r- just like a singer songwriter working like a narrow vein of like kind of folky music or something. She's working in a wide variety of different kinds of music. And her other records, like, each record is a little, is pretty different from like the last. And this record, it kind of almost feels like you could almost call it like a greatest hits of herself like they're all new songs but it is kind of showing like she can do like the the kind of like ABBA sounding songs she can do like more of like a like a straightforward indie rock song she can do this kind of thing what is the song where she talks about um Obama what song is that
0: oh yeah um i was just thinking about this song I can't,
1: um, is that I can't remember which song because, like, she because there's a song on the record because you expect like oh a song like this she's going to be talking about Donald Trump and it's going to be talking about him, but she also talks about Obama and the disappointment of she kind of uses him yeah, as like a metaphor I, I just, to talk about like good men who fall short basically,
0: right? And that's one of my favorite songs on the record because of how um, um is it M A H? I think it's M A H. Yes, yeah, that sounds right. Um, I love that because that's again like I felt like Obama was kind of gently held accountable with nuance on that song, and I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, and again, that's another example of like it doesn't really go where you would expect it. It's not just a preaching to the choir type song. It's a song that you can listen to and you can agree with what she's saying on most of the record, and you could, like you said, it kind of holds you accountable. It's like it's 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 confronting even people that would. Be have affinity for, like, the point of view on this record, which I think is a great thing to do. Um, I, I also want to say, like, a record on my list that I think is maybe in a similar vein is Historian by Lucy Dacus. Lucy Dacus is a friend of the podcast, by the way. She was on the show when her first record, No Burden, came out. And I love this record uh, because... Uh, you know, similar to the U.S. Girls' record, I think it's a record that is—it's different in the sense that I don't think historian is explicitly political in any way. I think it's definitely a, a, a personal record. But in terms of, you know, a woman writing songs, uh, from a very distinct point of view, sort of writing about women's agency, I think in the in the modern world, and the idea that you know it's up to women to, to tell their own stories. You know, and that this isn't a, you know, I I think that's been a big theme of the year where it's not going to be a situation like where men are just sort of dictating to women how they're going to express themselves, how they're going to be seen. That to me, like Lucy Dacus is a very sort of writerly writer, like in a way like she's writing about her life, but she's also writing about the act of writing, the act of taking note of your own life, of looking at the world and and, and making sense of it through your music. And that really resonated with me as I was listening to this record. All that aside, it's also just like a really good rock record. Like her first record, I think, was really good. But it was definitely a first record. It was a person, I think, sort of feeling out how to make music. I mean, she was pretty, I mean, she's young now. I think she's like 22. But she was a pretty inexperienced musician at the time of, of No Burden, and you can see how much she's grown just in the past couple of years. Where uh, these songs, I think, just blossom in a way that they don't on the first record. Like they, they, like musically, they, they kind of build from these sort of quiet meditations to, like, in the case of the first song, "Night Shift," which is my favorite song on the record. It just like explodes and it really kind of rages and it sounds really great. And uh, she's just an artist that I think. She's already making great records, but to see her, how much she's evolved just from her debut to the sophomore record gives me a lot of hope that like, wow, she's going to be doing great things in the years ahead. So I'm really excited about the record. Not just this record, Historian, which I think is awesome, but the records she's going to be making after this are going to be really great, I think as well. So Sean Mendez, let's get into it. I want to hear So you are really into the Sean Mendes record
0: yeah I think the Shawn Mendes record is good i think um it, it i think like it, well one i I think it's sequenced really well. I do want to say that from the jump and I think that um because I think pop records like big pop records are rarely sequenced well yeah um and I think you get like like on its face right in my blood is like a pretty corny song like just on it like not sonically but on its on its face like lyrically and like narratively it's kind of like boring teenage anthem. But I think like what he's able to do inside of the song, uh, like sonically and musically makes it really triumphant. Well, and really- so to have it open with that, to have that album, oh, I mean, it's like a great track one side one for a big pop album. Let me stop this um, like, for
1: one second. Cause I feel like for me, okay. Cause I am a Shawn Mendes skeptic, like based on when I've listened to him, he seems like a very sort of vanilla middle of the road, sort of like pop folky, Singer songwriter guy like maybe like a poor man's poor man's John Mayer like that would be my reductive take on him. So like what has he done in this new record that proves me wrong or proves skeptics wrong about him? Like how has he grown on this new record? Would you say?
0: Well, it's funny that you say the Mayer thing. Mayer produced a track on the album,
1: um, and I like John Mayer by the way. Like I, I not not and John Mayer actually his single that he put out the that song New Light. Yeah that's a that's like one of my favorite songs that's come out this year. Like, I love that. Like, he sounds like Boz Skaggs now. like I love it. Like, i I hope he continues to pursue that sort of like older, funky guy type vibe like that that's a great persona for him. I hope he wears like the pink jacket and you know, starts hitting singles bars and all that stuff. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you he, he He produced the song on the Shawn Mendes record.
0: He did. He produced, a, I mean, the Shawn Mendes record has like a an interesting, like if we're just talking about like writers and producers, there's like an interesting, you know, Teddy Geiger um, produced it. She did a lot of production on it. Um, Ed Sheeran, of course, wrote a thing on it because Ed Sheeran writes on everyone's everything. <laughs> um, Ryan Tedder resurfaces. But the thing with Shawn Mendes is I don't think it's bad to call him a poor man's John Mayer as long as we specify the era of John Mayer. I think that people are going to have to be patient with him. Um, but I think what he does on this record, and, and it might not happen, I think people might not see this until the album translates live, but there's some good guitar playing on the record. Um, yes, it's like overproduced and buried underneath layers of like, you know, everything that happens on big pop record productions. But I think if folks like look close at the acoustic stuff. like I know he played some of these songs acoustically. He's doing some interesting guitar work on the album, um, and he's doing some interesting songwriting on the album. Um, and something that I, I think has to be remembered for me with Shawn Mendes is that he was 19, um, and he essentially like learned to play music by watching the internet, right? So he is perhaps our, our, our first not our first, but our most prominent musical internet baby. Yeah, um, and I think he is writing songs now that are light years ahead of of where I think we imagine he should be. Right, it's the the whole Shawn Mendes narrative that he learned to play guitar while watching YouTube tutorials when he was thirteen, and he's nineteen now, um, he because he has that self taught thing, he's doing experimental things on the guitar that that aren't. You know, I'm not saying he's Jimi Hendrix, but he is kind of having fun messing around on guitar and it's sounding good. And I think his career trajectory might see him play out as someone, if we're playing like blues era John Mayer, like continual marriage John Mayer, I, I see that, I think Shawn Mendes could have that in his cards I think Shawn Mendes could have that in his future and that would not be a bad thing. And I think this album is a first step in that direction.
1: I love it. I love that John Mayer is going to be like the godfather of all these like... You know, yeah, burgeoning singer-songwriters because like because Mayer I think has definitely rehabbed himself. I think he like always, you know, had some budding respect going on. Like that record he did with the John Mayer Trio, you know, that 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 peak blues era, that, that, that record try like that's some yeah, jams on yeah. it. Like I'll 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 defend that record to anybody. Uh but then he he had like the Playboy interview that came out in 2010. Well,
0: Playboy, of, hopefully Shawn Mendes stays away from the Playboy <laughs> interviews. <laughs> but I, I like, think if you give Shawn Mendes a good jazz bassist and a good drummer, he could put it together, you know, in a couple of years he could put together a good blues record.
1: Yeah, get him with Steve Jordan. Like Steve Jordan should just be like, cuz he was with John Mayer on that record and you yeah. can he can do the Shawn Mendes thing. There's another narrative too this year of like sort of irredeemable like pop dorky guys being redeemed like the Sean Mendes thing Charlie Puth put out a record that like everyone loves like it's like a critical hit and yeah,
0: I didn't love the Charlie Puth record, but I appreciated that everyone else loved it. Yeah, so I don't
1: know, maybe that—that's just the thing. Like Adam Levine needs to put out an album, like a, sort of like a singer
0: songwriter record, and then he can. Get yeah, lots Brandon of Flowers needs another crack at the solo career. <laughs> Brandon Flowers and Patrick Stump deserve another crack at the solo. Career. Oh yeah, this okay. is the year now more than ever.
1: I feel like Flowers' his solo career has a lot of like cult fans though. Like I, I hear a lot of people that like loved his, the last
0: Brandon Flowers album. Um yeah I think uh, flowers had a little bit more success than mike stump and and whatnot yeah um, but it is the time for the kind of dorky dorky dude revival um <laughs> which is perhaps why i why I feel like I'm doing so well
1: <laughs> one record i want to shout out uh that is on the in- kind of going back into like the indie world here uh is the the record uh freedom by Amen Dunes, which is one of my favorite records of the year and Uh, This is an interesting record because I think Amen Dunes was associated with sort of freak folk for a long time. There's a real sort of, you know, like a lot of acoustic guitars, a lot of like long stringy hair, you know, sort of like the, the music that you play like while looking at the sunset, like a lot of that kind of stuff. And his new record is kind of the opposite of that, where it's razor focused, a lot of, you know, chiming almost U2 type guitars you know, like motoric beats, songs that, again, I think have a, a momentum to them that I don't know if you could quite dance to this music, but uh, it's a lot tighter, a lot more pop-oriented, um, and, and just like amazing guitar songs, like uh, guitar sounds. Uh, like one of my favorite songs on the album is the title track, and... I don't know how you feel about like 1980s Brian Adams, but like the last 45 seconds of that song, it sounds like the riff from run to you just on a loop over and over again. Like that's that same kind of guitar sound. And I'm a real sucker for that. Obviously I'm a fan of the war on drugs. So that says it all right there about that for me. I think amen dunes kind of has some sonic similarities to war on drugs in a little bit, although they're not quite as expansive sounding as that band. Um, but this is a record I like a lot, and it's really stuck with me through the year. Uh, and it's gotten some good press, but I feel like it's still a little under the radar. So, I don't know, have you heard that record at all?
0: I haven't. I have to go, now I have to listen to it. Yeah, it's it slipped under my radar as well.
1: I think you're in the desert right now. This would be a good desert record. I don't know if you have, like if you rented a car, but like, if you're going to go, because... I've actually thought about vacationing in Santa Fe and like the, the main reason would be so I could like drive through the desert because I've never really done that. That seems like an amazing thing to do. And Yeah, hey, I man. need a
0: good desert drive record. I'll, oh, have to, yeah. I'll have to put it on and then like check, catch the sunset out here. Yeah.
1: And then chase it with the Shawn Mendes record. I think that's the Shawn Mendes record only. Did we get to everything that you wanted to talk about? I think we have both talked about five. Is there anything else you yeah. wanted to mention?
0: No, I'll quickly mention that I was very heartened by the kids' See Ghost album. I think it was a very triumphant thing for for Cuddy, and I'm very proud of that. Yes, I'm still spinning with it, so I don't want to dive too deep into it, but I, I really am proud of that record and thrilled for Cuddy.
1: And you didn't mention Kanye, though. You're not thrilled for Kanye, either?
0: The, no, just less significantly is... <laughs> less thrilled for Kanye. <laughs>
1: So just, just, just like, that's all, that's all Cuddy on that one. You're not giving any uh, Kanye love for... No, the
0: beats are great, but I think that Cuddy really brings them to life in a special way.
1: So, I mean, like, did you write it all about any of this Kanye stuff? Like, did you did you voice an opinion on that, or have, have you just, like, checked No, out? I sat
0: it out largely. It seemed so exhausting to approach. Yeah. Um, and to be frank, like, my interest in it was pretty low, um, because it was just so theatrical and so clearly um, contrived. That um, right. I didn't want to encourage it. I felt like I didn't want to encourage it by giving it the attention that it was um, archi- or, like reaching for.
1: Um, I mean, like, do you have like an but, emotional like, attachment to like classic Kanye era? Like, was there? So, I mean, it sounds like you didn't feel portrayed on any level, or it was more of sort of like a cynical, like, well, this is obviously uh, like a PR type thing.
0: I don't feel like there
1: wasn't any kind of like emotional reaction to any of that for you.
0: Um, I mean, I was I was disappointed, but yeah. I also just understand the the, the the gimmick of Kanye, right, who <laughs> is from an era where controversy could sell records, and controversy sells records less these days. Right. Um, but he still has that very old-school mentality of, if I'm controversial enough, the people will show up. And, you know, he's kind of a boring—he's always been a provocateur. Um, the problem is he was just provoking the people that the collective we was against, and now he's provoking the collective we— um, I mean, and that fits less well. Um, that's an interesting
1: take but I, on I just it don't because, have time for
0: it. You know, I, I'm yeah. very much, sure, disappointed, but, like, also saw this coming. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen this coming for a couple of years. I think anyone who has followed Kanye West could see this coming for a couple of years. And so, you know, this is kind of like a logical conclusion to what he's been on. Um, and I, I still have a lot of affection for... For old Kanye West, I, I like the beat, punky, seedy. They are reminiscent of an early era of Kanye West, but I can both feel romantic about that and not kind of like let the producer off the hook.
1: Right, right. And I, I feel like I'm sucking you into a Kanye West here conversation, so I apologize. But like, I think what you said there, what you said there, was really interesting to me about how controversy doesn't necessarily sell records anymore. And there is something about Kanye West to me where. In a way, he's almost more like a 20th century artist than a 21st century artist, even though his whole career has taken place in this century. But just like how he, like who he resembles to me in my mind, uh, in in terms of his career arc and like what his values are, and like how he just goes about making records, like it reminds me, in a a lot of ways, I think of him almost like as a classic rock artist than as like an internet artist, if that makes sense. And, and and maybe part of that is that controversy thing, um, but I don't know. Just like what how he approaches making music and approaches persona seems, in a way, more akin to like a David Bowie or a John Lennon than it would to like SoundCloud
0: rappers or something.
1: Does that make sense?
0: Oh yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I think it's um I think he's probably struggling to figure out how to um, exist in this era. Yeah. Um, but I, I think he'll figure it out eventually. You or, think so? He won't. Actually, actually, I'm not sure that he will. I'm pretty sure that he won't. And you know, we're kind of getting the last, the last kind of gasp of Kanye West as we know it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like he's. I mean, you know, Kanye's 40. He's going to be 41. I think he's. I think he turns 41 today as we record this. I think his birthday is June yeah. 9th. Um, Yeah, it's his birthday. And not that you can't continue to make great music in your 40s and beyond, but you know, for a pop artist, you know, it's just harder Mm -hmm. to sustain that. Even if you keep making great music, you sort of enter a different part of your career where you're not in that sort of zeitgeist world anymore, where you have to have that pressure to always be on top of everything. You just can't do that forever. And he did that longer than most people, I think. I just feel like to still expect him to be doing that, I I, I just think you can't do that anymore. I I feel like he's maybe moved beyond that. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, but I don't know. The signs are there, I think, for him. There's other things in his life. Your life just gets fuller. You, You can't do that zeitgeist thing forever. So I don't know. I'm not putting a fork in him. But I feel like that part of his career is maybe over. But we'll see. It's interesting. We'll see. And
0: he'd have to reinvent a lot of things. And I am less interested in the reinvention of Kanye West than I used to be.
1: Right. Right. All right. Well, I I forced you to do Kanye takes, and I apologize for that. No, this was fine.
0: I'm glad we got
1: to to get there. And on your vacation, even. Uh, (laughs) This is always a pleasure. I always love having you on. You're a friend of the pod. And uh, thank you for making time, man. It's always great.
0: Anytime Steve I appreciate you
1: And congratulations on the book Alright man Take care Alright that was me And Hanif Durkib, One of our favorite guests Here at the Celebration Rock Podcast a, a friend of the podcast Yeah hopefully You found something there That you like We went through the year You know we recorded This podcast actually Like a, a Week and a half ago So there have been Other albums that have Come out That I would maybe Put on my high Half list You know it, That always happens It's the It's the perils Of making a list but you know what? It's fine. I I feel like those are probably my favorite. I For sure, like the top three or four are solidly up there for me right now. So let us know what you think. If you want to chime in with your own favorites, you can find us at Pod on Twitter. Send us your list. Let us know what you think. Share your recommendations with everyone. That's the spirit of this podcast, sharing great music. i got to give a shout out, as always, to the man who makes it happen, Derek Madden. Thanks for putting it all together, Derek. Also got to give a shout-out to Josh Copperman, the man who wrote our theme song. Thank you, Josh. And as always, got to thank our listeners. Thank you so much for paying attention to the show, for telling your friends about us, uh, for leaving nice reviews on iTunes, all those things that help grow the podcast. We would not be here without you. So thank you so much for that. We will be back next week with more Celebration Rock Podcast. Thanks again, guys. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.